Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, um, which is in the New Testament towards the end. Um, The passage is also going to come up on the screen. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And uh, really the the tone of the letter changes at this point. And we're entering really, this is a two-part sermon. Um, And today we're going to be looking at the general principle of how we change as people. How we go from being one type of person to another type of person. Next week is part two, where we get into the real specifics of actually what the scriptures call us to change in our life. So this is very much the general principle right now of how we change. And then next week, okay, Paul's got some very specific things about what it is to live as a Christian. What I want to do today is read the whole passage um, so we get the whole sweep of Paul's thinking and then dive into it. That's okay. So Ephesians chapter 4. From verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as, as the truth is in Jesus, to pull off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word that speaks life to us. Lord, I acknowledge that these kinds of words have an incisive power to cut through where we think we may be at, Lord God, to bring a true picture of ourselves. And I pray that you would do that by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would enable us to change. Lord, many of us have come here today desiring change in all different aspects of our life, personality, character, life, job, circumstance, whatever it might be, I pray, Lord, that you would help us see the root causes of change and what will stop it now, that it will be to the glory of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So three things very simply. Paul's concern, the diagnosis of actually what stops us as people from changing, and Paul's prognosis, okay, if you do want to change, how do you do it and where is the seat of change? So firstly, Paul's concern is this, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus, and he says in verse 17, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, or as the nations, or as those who don't believe, the pagans in some translations, as the pagans do. 
So there has just been this church that started in Ephesus, this small group of people have been persuaded by Paul that Jesus is who he says he is, and they have rejected their old way of life and started to follow Christ. But what has seemingly happened is that those who have began to follow Jesus have been slipping back into their old habits. And Ephesus was this huge cultural, spiritual, commercial hot pot, if you will. It was a massive trade center, so there was wealth, there was business, there was greed there, there was this looking after money. There was a temple uh, that, that was there to Artemis, who was the goddess of fertility, and the worship of a goddess of fertility looked very interesting indeed. Didn't look anything as plain as this. Um, and there was this prostitution ring that basically grew up as an industry around the temple. And so there were the people who had been leaving their old way of life. And this was just normal. This was like Soho legalized everywhere you went. This was like absolutely normal to go and worship Artemis. There were people who were leaving their old way of life who were then walking around doing their own and getting caught back into as they walked past their old haunts, going back to work getting in touch with old friends, old prostitutes, and actually getting caught back into this old way of life. And even as they were told in, in Ephesus, there was this huge um, uh, magic arts kind of culture, divination, witchcraft that was going on. We're told at one point there were so many people becoming Christians from the magic arts that they piled all their books together and 50,000 pieces of silver worth of books were burned in one go as they said, we now repent and follow Jesus. What was probably happening is because it was so much part of the culture, they actually started, they were going to church on a, on a Saturday, but then actually they were dabbling in their old, actually I wouldn't mind actually having some help because I'm praying to Jesus, but nothing seems to be happening here. So maybe if I go back to a friend, my neighbour who I know is still practising, maybe they can help supplement my faith in Jesus. And so there was this drifting back to old practices. And if you've ever become a Christian, you can know that this sometimes happens. You can start very zealous. You know, you meet Jesus and you're amazed. There's a whole new life. There is this glory set before you, this hope, this freedom, this liberty. But what can happen sometimes after months or after years is what this kind of coldness can creep into your spiritual walk. And actually things that you would have rejected when you first came to Christ, actually you begin to kind of accommodate in your life. Now you start watching stuff you actually have stopped watching again. You, your, your, your language starts to drift back to, you begin to gossip in a way that you'd rejected that. You, and, and this was happening to the Ephesian church. And so Paul's concern is that they live in line with the new faith that they now confess. This was Paul's concern. Their calling, as our calling is, is to be the light of the world. And if we are going to be the light of God, if we are going to fulfill our calling as a church, it is going to be through us having lives that match up to the testimony that of, of what we believe in. That when we sing about Jesus and we declare that he is our shepherd and that he guides us and he's been good to us, that our lives will actually match up to that and demonstrate the goodness of the Lord. Because if we say one thing with our lips and we sing one thing on a Sunday, but actually our lives do never match up with that, we have no testimony. Our calling is to offer hope to London. Our calling is to offer light to London. Our calling is to offer forgiveness to London. Our calling is to offer a washing away of shame, liberty and hope and freedom and destiny and purpose. And if our lives don't match up with the, with the calling that we have, we will never have a powerful testimony. And this is Paul's concern. He says it in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, he says, I plead with you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is this great, glorious calling that we are bound up in. I've received forgiveness, washing away of shame. I've seen Christ, the King of glory. 
And now I am called to live in a manner worthy, worthy of this King of glory. One who is pure, full of integrity, absolutely holy in everything he does. And now I am called to walk after this Jesus. And my, if I'm going to have a powerful testimony, it's going to be through, me through living like what I say I believe in. And this is Paul's concern, that these Christians do this, that they live like they should. And so he talks about, I mean, he really dives into this diagnosis of what actually is kind of pulling them back into this old way of life. And I want to just walk through these three steps with you. Because there will be some of you here who you have come and you know there are areas in your life that you want to change. Anyone honest to know, like say, like, actually, there are some bits of my life I would like to, we're in February at the moment, so it's a good time to feel really bad about, like, the New Year's resolutions that we haven't fulfilled and have gone by the wayside yet again. There, there is something in all of us that, like, actually, yeah, there are these areas, even just personality or this, or I, I work, I'd love to be better at that. We, we, we want to change. And Paul lays out here three things that will stop us from changing. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, and the most radical change you can do is go from not being a Christian to being a Christian. I mean, that's like a total revolution of your life. And many of us here have gone through that and we're still shocked that we're a Christian. I'm still shocked. I'm shocked from a pastor. I'm shocked from a Christian. I'm like, oh my, I, this was not on my like, life plans as a 12-year-old. Be a Christian. And here I am. How does that happen? You go from being not a Christian to a Christian. He says, this is what stops it. And then this is how it happens. So firstly, this is what stops it. He says, I urge you not to be like the Gentiles. And he says, firstly, in the futility of their minds. This is the first aspect. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The first thing he says, he starts with the mind. He says, what will stop you from changing is a futile mind. I've got the dictionary definition of futile just because, like, said to be futile is to be incapable of producing any useful result. Oh my goodness. Imagine that, like turning up at work. Like, so tell me about how your mind works. Well, I've got a futile mind. I'm incapable of producing any useful result. That is not like what you want to be going. Like, this is not a good thing. Like, my mind is full of stuff that actually will not produce anything useful in this life. My mind, the word there, it has this conjuring up of a picture of like just a bubble. Like, my mind is just like a bubble, and you, you, you touch it and it pops, and there's nothing on the inside. So much of our earthly wisdom works like that because it's got like a nice Instagram picture to it and it's got a nice filter. It looks like it's got substance and meaning because I put quotation marks around it. But yet when you look behind it, you touch it, it just pops because it's, it's just futile. There's no actual power to change your inner being. It's just worldly thinking. It says, well, not actually produce results. And as a nation, aren't we in a moment where we are all after changing our society. Like everywhere you go, it feels like there's a lobbyist, there's a campaign, there is, there's a Twitter campaign, there's a hashtag campaign to get something changed in our nation. And yet it still feels like, doesn't it, that we go round and round and round because there is this futility to our thinking that isn't actually getting us anywhere. And you often hear this thing like, if something bad happens in the press or on Twitter or on social media, and someone says something like, I can't believe it's 2019 and this is still happening. Like we'd still, like it's 2019, we sorted this out in 2016, then how could someone still be saying something like that? Because we are not living under the creator and thinking his thoughts after him. It's like our, our, our thoughts are futile. I remember reading a, a political biography a few years back, and I was interested, like, learn like leadership, like, and, and, and 
nothing, it's not, this is nothing a party political thing. I was like, okay, I'd love to know like, how they generated their policies. And basically, as this biography went through, it's fascinating for history, was basically them sitting around, coming up with phrases that would catch the public's attention. And you think, wow, th th this is the heart of our nation leading us into national change. And yet it really, as it boils down, is to 10 to 15 people coming up with phrases that will catch our imagination and lead us somewhere. Like, it's just, it's empty, touched in the pots and it's gone. That's the first stage, and this can happen to us. And then he goes on to talk about our heart in verse 18. It says, they are darkened in their understandings, and followed those alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. The word here is porosis. And it's got this sense of, like, the end of um, joints, where the hardening of the joints happens so much so, it's kind of callousing that you can't even move your finger or your knee because this, this hardness has happened. Paul is saying this, this futile thinking comes from hearts that have become numb and hard to the things of God. Where your conscience cannot feel anything anymore. Where you watch injustice and your heart feels no compassion or no anger or no zeal. One commentator said this, he said um, about the hardness of heart. He says this is the, the progressive inability of the conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. I, I read that and thought, Lord, keep my heart from that. The progressive inability of the heart to convict me of wrongdoing. I, I, want, to be con I want my conscience to be pricked if I start to err from the ways of God. He says, no, there is a progressive thing that can happen that you don't even notice in a moment. But ten years down the line, you are just numb to the things of God. It says this is what happens, it's deep down in the heart, and then this is the result of what happens, and it's to do with our body in verse 19. It says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, just basically anything that feels good in the moment, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So it says the result of this futile thinking that is there because of a heart that has become callous and hard, leads at the end of the day to us being given over to whatever the heck we want to do. Basically, in the moment, if I want to do this or say this or not do that, whatever the impulses in my body are, I will or won't, depending on how I feel in that given moment. There is no bigger framework than what I feel like doing in the moment. And this is where we get to as a logical conclusion, if there is no God, what do I do with my life? Well, whatever I feel like doing in the moments. And this, this is where we're at right now as a culture. If you are going to be true to yourself, you have to act on how you feel on the inside. Isn't that right? Like how I feel on the inside has to find a manifestation. And therefore, to be true to me, I have to act and if I, don't, if I don't act with sensuality, if I don't do the things that I feel like are going to fulfill me or give me pleasure in the moment, I'm not being true to myself. And that is the worst cultural sin today. I said, but this is actually the, the result. It's just sensuality, like what, whatever it is, like saying something, gossiping, lying, sexual impurity, whatever it might be. Actually, if this is really the thing I want to do, once I take off the restraints of a creator in my mind, once my heart has become numb, then I go in this direction. And it's worthwhile sometimes just stopping and thinking, how's your mind, how's your heart, and how's your body? What is your mind being filled with right now? Because this will indicate where your life might be going. What is your heart doing? How is your heart feeling? Is your heart feeling? 
When was the last time you, you saw some injustice and you felt something in your gut? Some anger, some kind of like inner rage of like, that can't be right. How many times do you just give yourself over to like, oh, this is what I want to say, or that's just what I want to do. And like, how many times are you just like, oh, I'm just going to go for it. And just think about the consequences tomorrow. You just take an inventory. Because so often we get left just with these things and we get stuck in this eddy trying to change. The religious answer to this really jumps very quickly to verse 22 and verse 24. It says in verse 22, put off your old self. And it says in verse 24, put on your new self. So this is the religious answer to this like Eddie of getting caught in a lack of change. It's like what you need to do is you need to put off all those bad habits. And I'm going to give you some helpful ways in which you can put those bad habits off you. That belongs to your old self. And then here are some new things that you can do to help you get along in life and actually change. That's where religion goes very quickly. Here's some new things to not do and here's some things to do. And so many people still today come to church on a Sunday like this because they're trying to find some new things to do or some new things not to do. And I've got to be honest, even as a pastor, if church is all about finding out some things that I shouldn't be doing, I probably know them already, and some new tips, I could probably read that in a magazine. This is not worth it. It would be a lot cheaper and easier to stay at home and just send an email out. Here's the next few things that you need to do to walk with Jesus. Paul is not simply talking about, here's like a new religious to-do list. That's how the whole magazine industry is built, isn't it? The whole blog industry right now. Here's some new fresh tips on how to be a new person in 2019. And how many of those, when you look at it, are just rehashed with a new colour scheme, with a new number and a new author, and they're just the same? Eat healthy, basically, and move more. That's basically like, just be... That's what you've got to do. Like, I save you a lot of hassle. you just got to do it. That's what you've got to do. But what Paul says in here is something radically different. Because he says in verse 20, he doesn't say, okay, guys, this is where you're at. You're just giving yourselves over-sensuality. He doesn't say, like, stop it. Stop being your old self and be your new self. What does he say in verse 20? But that is not the way you learned Christ. You see the answer to this? It's not like, here's some other things you should be doing. Stop doing that. That's not the way you learned Christ, which is... When you read this, it's a really weird thing for him to say. Learned Christ. If I told you, and I, I met Toria in 2005 in a canteen in Wales. It's a, a whole story I'll tell you about another time. And I said, oh, I'd, I'd love to tell you about the, the moment that I learned, learned Toria. He'd be like, what? you don't speak so good, do you, mate? No, you don't. Like, that's no good English, that's not. You learned Toria. That doesn't make any sense. Like Paul's having this very strange grammatical moment. He says, what do you mean to learn Christ? He's talking about this personal, intimate encounter with the person of Jesus. And he's bending grammar to do it. He says, you can learn Christ. You can come to him and meet him in such a way that he said, I actually met Jesus today. What happened at Trinity Church London yesterday? Oh, I, I learned Christ. I met with the living God. That's what he's talking about in this moment. So people have all these questions about Christianity. That is the Bible really true? Well, we can talk about that, but have you met Jesus? He's actually the one that will be the, the author of your change. And what about dinosaurs? People have questions about dinosaurs. How do they fit? Have you actually met Jesus? Isn't the Bible really like 
bigoted and narrow. And like, how can all this wrath stuff happen? Yeah, but how do you make Jesus? What about homosexuality? Yes, but how do you make Jesus? What about suffering? How, how can I receive suffering in my life if God is good? Have you met Jesus? That's the question if we are going to change. What about all the things that are going wrong around my life right now? Well, let me tell you about Jesus who had everything go wrong and die on a cross and be raised from the dead into eternal glory. Have you met Jesus? This is our question for London. Have you met Jesus? Not, oh, I've got some new things that you should be doing. And if you pray this and you do that and you go to church, then your life is really going to turn around. Have you met Jesus? That's what he says. And it's not just an encounter with Jesus. It's to learn the historical facts of who this Jesus is. He goes on in verse 21. Assuming that you had heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is, in Jesus. So you've got to be taught in him. And Paul does this interesting thing because normally he talks about Christ as the Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord. Very, very rarely does he just simply say Jesus. He doesn't just call him Jesus. And we commentators think that what Paul is trying to get at here is actually talking about being taught in the historical life of who Jesus is. When he came down as a baby, born to Mary and Joseph, living as a perfect, sinless man, dying on a cross, being raised to brand new life, being ascended on high, sat at the right hand of the Father, one day to come back to judge the living and the dead so that he might be the ruler of all in all. He's talking about these historical events and we are called to meet Jesus and to know him in all the aspects and the facets of who he is. And here's where change actually happens. It happens when we understand who Jesus is and the story that Jesus is the Lord of and our part in that story. Because he says, this is what you've got to be taught in. So there is truth, there is history that you need to know that, what, about where you find yourself in this history. And he links this being taught in him down in verse 23 where he says this, you must be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So let me just do one last piece of unpacking of this text. In verse 22, he says, put off your old self. Verse 24, put on your new self. In between these two commands sits this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I think we've got to see verse 23 as sitting at the centre and behind as the source of power for both of these two things. And these are the things we're going to look at next week. But the root of change happens by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you remember, it's your mind that gets corrupted first by throwing off God. And actually, it's your mind that needs to be renewed if we're going to receive change. It says this is where your change is going to happen. So if you want to receive a proper, radical, inward change as you meet Jesus, you have to have your mind changed. But this is not like a Christianized, sanctified CBT. You've got to understand this. This is not like, oh, it's like just retraining my thinking about how I do life. There's all sorts of ways in which you can go to counsellors, psychotherapists, who will tell you all sorts of different techniques to retrain your thinking. Even thinking about your past, thinking about how you think about the future. This is not that. This is something totally different. Because Paul doesn't say, be renewed in your mind. He says this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Which is a very, very different thing. And it's, it's hard to articulate, but I'm going to have a go. It's my job, so I've been working on this. I'm on paid to do it, so here we go. The spirit of your mind is not just the individual thoughts that you may have about your life. 
The spirit of your mind is the actual controlling force behind all of the thoughts that you think. Maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions in a day. I don't know. But it's the, the, the actual controlling force or the atmosphere within, within which every other thought fits. It's like the framework with, within which your thoughts fit within. Does that make sense? If your thoughts are like sentences in a book, what Paul is talking about here is the whole book itself and the cover. The whole narrative of your life. Ravi Zacharias, who's a Christian apologist and philosopher, and he's studied philosophy for, for decades now, he says this, that basically you can take all philosophical questions and boil them down to four. If you, if you look at everything, you can boil them down basically to four questions. The first is a question of origins. How did I get here? How did we get here? How is the universe here? How did all of this begin? That's a philosophical question we have to answer. Secondly, he says, what is the purpose of life? It's a question of meaning. Why do I exist? What is the reason for me being alive now? The third question is this, the question of morality. How do I know what is right and wrong? What is right and wrong? We're arguing this all the time. And the fourth question is the question of destiny. Where am I headed and where is life going? Some people call it a worldview. Some people call it a framework. I think if Paul were looking at, he would say, this is the spirit of your mind. How do you see the beginning of your life and the end of your life? What do all your thoughts fit into? What kind of story do you think you are living in? That is the controlling factor with all of your thoughts. Does that make sense? I'm doing my best here. That's a con- and Paul has, I think, been arguing for this in the whole of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are basically Paul laying out what the spirit, what should be controlling the spirit of your mind, the story that you are in. How did life begin? What is the meaning of life? Where is morality? What is right and wrong? Where is everything headed? And let me just read to you Ephesians chapter one, just a few verses, and you pick this up. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a question of origins. What, where have we begun? That we should be holy and blameless before him. The question of morality. What is right and wrong? Before whom am I going to stand? Who's my judge? It is it Twitter hashtag kind of campaigns, or is it actually the living God? He said, you are called to be holy and blameless before him. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption. What's our purpose? To live as part of the family of God, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What's my meaning in life? To live to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Where is what he's headed? To the glory of God. He's always laying out these great and grand storylines to enable us to know what you are living in. He is trying, even in the letter, transform the spirit of your mind, which is why I think he prays in 118, have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what the hope is that which he's called you. He wants you to see what is the destiny that you've been called to. He's trying to pray for the spirit of your mind to be transformed so you might see there is something more glorious than the consumerist storyline that is going on right now in our world. Because if you ask London, generally, all sorts of different answers will come back. But generally, this would be the storyline. Why are we here? Well, it was like some molecular thing that happened, some micro-collision that caused this ever-expanding physical universe to come into being. 
So our, our origins are birthed in just material matter. Well, how, how do we find out about morality? Well, it's basically probably just a growing social conscience that we all need to discuss and we will come to some growing awareness of what is right and wrong. Okay, well, what is the end of all of life? Well, at some point, the, the sun is just going to burn the whole thing up. We're going to be obliterated. Goodbye, world. And that's it. And there's nothing after that. I think, well, in that kind of framework, what is the meaning of life? Probably just go after as much money and have as much fun and as much pleasure as you can think about. And whatever feels good to you in the moment, as long as it doesn't harm society, that's probably fine. And that's your purpose in life because you're going to go tomorrow and that's it. So you see how the framing of your life begins to shape your decisions on a Tuesday. If you think that it's all going to be gone and there'll be no ultimate judge to all of this, then what, it doesn't matter what the heck I do. I'm just going to pursue it. Sure, it might hurt a few people on the way, but actually this is what I want to do. This is being true to myself. So the question is, what is the spirit of your mind? What actually is framing your origins, your morality, your purpose in this life and your destination? And it's more than just saying, well, I think it's about God. Because you can say the right things with your spirit of your mind actually being shaped by the culture. Because that's what Paul is arguing for. You are living in Ephesus right now that is shaping your thinking. So as much as you go to church on a Sunday and say that actually you're birthed by God, you're sustained by God, you're going to be glorified and see Jesus Christ. That is the end and eternal glory and hope. Even though you say that with your lips, you are, you are living, the water that you're living in is a totally different spirit. So the spirit of your mind has got to be renewed, you see. Got to continually see it renewed again and again and again. We see it lived out with Jesus in this amazing way. Jesus was a man who had the spirit of his mind utterly new all the time. He knew exactly where he came from. He knew his purpose. He knew morality. And he knew where he was headed. And we get this moment in John 13 where just before Christ was going to be get going to be crucified he's with his disciples sat around for dinner if you know the story that in, in the jewish culture they needed to have washed the feet before they had dinner yet no one had done it because they were all looking for this top spot in the kingdom the spirit of their mind was all around this kind of hierarchical toing and froing as to who was going to be at the right and the left of jesus christ in his kingdom they had this upward trajectory of power as part of their story and their narrative and yet Jesus, in the middle of this, and that meant they weren't going to wash anyone's feet because they don't want to be seen as the, like, the servant because actually I'm angling for a top job in the kingdom. And so Jesus, we find this, John says, um, in verse 1, says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus, so what's the spirit of his mind? He knows exactly where he's come from. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows his purpose in life. Having known the purpose of his life and where the whole universe was headed to the glory of his Father, we're told he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking his towel, tied it around his waist and began to wash the disciples' feet. So out of this renewed mind, he then said, I know exactly what I need to do in this moment. I am here to serve and not to be served. He was shaped by his mind. <laughs> and we see it all the time. I mean, like the markets today, aren't they? They're built on this, basically on the confidence in the future, which is why everyone's getting so twitchy about Brexit, because 
the market goes up and down based on what you think the future's gonna be. And if, you're, if the spirit of your mind is based around material things, then you are gonna freak out when things like Brexit come and seek to maybe just knock the market and everyone starts to take their money out and the value drops and drops and drops because we're, we're based like this. We'd see what is my future? And that changes the decisions today, do you see? So we need, if we're gonna actually change to be renewed at the spirit of our mind level. Before we ever get to talking or thinking about, okay, well, what do I do on Tuesday? What story are you living in? Someone asks you right now, where have you come from? It changes you, doesn't it? Where have you come from? It's that program, who do you think you are? And you watch these celebrities find out bits about their past and their grandparents, and you see some of the, how they view themselves by the end of the program changes. Because your parents and your grandparents and your family history change the perception of who you are. But you, Christian, what is your origin? How are you birthed? Where did you come from? Where are you going for morality right now? What is filling your mind? What is your purpose here on earth? Have you nailed that question in your mind? You might not be a Christian here. It's amazing how for so many years you can go through just like busy, busy doing, doing the next thing without actually stopping and asking fundamental questions about why you are either bothering to turn up at work tomorrow. You ever thought that? Like so many people live with this sense of like, vaguely I think this is what life's about like there might be a God there might be an afterlife and you just but it's just head down for a decade of my life just to get up this career ladder without any asking of like why because actually we're already being shaped by the spirit of our minds where are we headed where are we going and this is the Christian story that is amazing I have been created out of an infinitely loving and happy God there is a volcanic joy at the center of the universe that has created this universe. Not just from material things, but from spirit. And out of this place, you and I have been created, made in the image of God. Whether you go to church or don't go to church, we have been given dignity and worth because we have been made in the image of God, imbued with this purpose to subdue and to enjoy all the goodness of creation, to explore and to find life and to enjoy the goodness of everything that we find around us. This is what we have been birthed into by God himself. And yet us in our stupidity, we keep wanting to do our own things and think like, yeah, okay, God, thank you, but I want to do my own thing right now and find out if there's another meaning to life that I can birth in my own heart. And we do this, so we live with this dual tension of being made in the dignity of God, having worth, and yet at the same time living with these desires and, 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 and longings that are against God. And all the while living with these two tensions in this storyline where God does not leave us as orphans in the universe just to live lonely. But this loving God who created everything decides to send his son out of joy to redeem us. And this Jesus Christ comes and lives the perfect life for us so that we might know God and be brought back to God. And Christ dies for all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, so that our spirit of our mind might be renewed and is raised from the dead on the third day. And as he does this, as he is raised, as he is ascended on high, he then gives us his Holy Spirit even today so that we might now be restored into the full image of God fully alive is what it means to be men and women created on this earth so that we might be the ones now who spread the joy of knowing this great God. And one day, God will bring an end to all the injustice, all the pain, all the suffering, 
all the sin that is in this world that dogs us continually, he will bring an end to it finally. So there will be a day when all the living and the dead are gathered around Jesus Christ and he will be the judge of everybody and all injustice will be gone. All tears will be gone. All pain will be gone. And there will be an eternal future of glory and of joy in his presence. Hallelujah. And for those who say no to Jesus, there will be an eternal futility outside of his presence. There is an eternal reality to everything that's happening right now. And we are being called into it. And so what we need to do is to do everything we can so that the spirit of our mind is transformed. Because believe you me, the culture right now is preaching at you every moment of the day. Through advertising, through the, just the zeitgeist of the moment, through what your colleagues are pursuing, you are being taught what is the meaning of life and the framework of life. What is the spirit of this age? But the spirit of our mind needs to be transformed. The Hebrew people, interestingly, it's interesting that Tyre went up to North London. You go up to North London, a few stops on the train, and you'll see a people there who have been formed in a story. Because they're distinct, aren't they? You know you're in North London. Oh, there's a massive Jewish community because you can see them. Because what do they do? They keep reminding themselves of the story of God that they have been caught up into. They literally, deliberately, intentionally have moments in their week and in their year where they stop and they tell themselves the story that they have been caught up in. They have the Haggadah once a year where literally it's just the telling, where they tell the story again and again and again so that they can be formed in the spirit of their mind so they might know what is the story that I've been caught up in? What is the heritage of my people? Where is morality? What is the meaning of life? Where am I headed? And we as Christians need to be formed at the spirit level of our minds. This is where, and God gives us so many ways in which we do this. So let me just run through a few. He gives us scripture. We need to be a people who are like living it. This is the story of God. And if our minds aren't being shaped by this story more than Netflix's stories, then we are not going to be transformed to the spirit of our mind. This is the story. And we have a brain to memorize, even just phrases. You might think, I've got a good brain to memorize stuff. But you can memorize a phrase, things that stand out. You can read and reread and write down and reread because it gets you into the story of God. God has given us bodies which we can use to get us into the story of God, into to have our mind transformed. One of the things I, I like to do is to, to bow down and kneel. And I don't bow down because I'm like a demonstration of like, Goodness me, look how holy I am. I'm even willing to bow down before you. I bow down because through my body, I can communicate to my mind at the deep level in my inner being that I am not the boss of my life, that I have a creator who is my Lord. My body can communicate things to my mind. So I bow down and recognize in the morning, Lord, I am not my own. I belong to you. I am dependent on you. Lord, you are my Lord. I am not the Lord of my life. I'm not the captain of my own soul. You are the captain of my soul and I bow down to you. We can do things like to remind ourselves, I'm not the boss of my life. God's given us his ability to fast for periods of time. Just very simple ways of saying to my body and my soul, I am dependent on a, more than just the physical stuff of this world. This world is more than just consumerism and materialism and getting as much pleasure as I want. There is a spirit realm here and I need to be reminded of it. I'm dependent on God. He's given us community to be a part of, where we get to be reminded 
there, God is doing something amazing in this city. God is actually, it's not just me. You can feel lonely, can't it, sometimes when you're at work as a Christian following Christ. You think, no one actually cares that I love Jesus here. And you come together in community groups on a Wednesday or on a Sunday. You're, oh my goodness, there are more people who are believing this story. God is doing something beyond just me. And we're reminded and we're reinforced in the spirit of our minds to what we're being called up into. God has given us baptism. Sunday 28th, hope it's in your diary, we're baptising Matt, Phoebe and Joel. It's going to be very exciting, just around the corner. But baptism is just a moment where we are reminded, where we're physically taught that we have died, that our story has changed, that we are now born of the Holy Spirit and that we've been raised to brand new life and to live with God. And God has given us the Lord's Supper. A very physical, tangible way of being reminded of the story that we are in. That we get bread to eat and we eat it into our bodies and it becomes part of us. That Christ is now in us. And we drink wine to remember the shed blood of Christ. So that we are reminded again and again and again that the spirit of our mind needs to be renewed into this story, not the story of London. So at this stage, I just we're going to take communion in just a moment. Maybe the band could come back up. But at this stage, I really just want to plead with us as a community that we would be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Because honestly, it, it freaks me out that as Christians, we can be so laissez-faire about the formation of our own souls when London is so active in trying to form us into the image of London. London is so active right now, deliberate and active. Companies with millions and sometimes billions of pounds to spend are trying to lure you right now into their vision of life. It might not be wrong to buy their products, but they are presenting to you a very different vision of life than what we have in the scriptures. So I'm pleading with us that we would be super smart and as London is deliberate, we would be a deliberate community. Intentional, knowing that the spirit of our mind has to be transformed if we're going to change at a radical, deep level. So what I want to do is I just want to read this moment from, from Matthew. We've got uh, communion here. And... Um, the thing that I love about this, I mean, it's, this, this is Welch's purple grape juice. Right, thank you, Andy, for buying that. And this is gluten-free bread. I, I love this. Well, it's not very religious of you, is it? Like, we're, 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 you're not doing this very very properly, are you? But actually, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, Warburton's, I'm not sponsored by Warburton's at all, but <laughs> this is very ordinary bread because Christ came for the very ordinary. He came for that every day. He came for your Monday morning. So that your Monday morning, when you're, when you're eating toast for breakfast, that is part of why Christ came for the every day. That you might be transformed there and then. There is no like high and lofty thing that is more spiritual than what we're doing right now. This is it. This is where the Holy Spirit comes to meet us. So in just a moment, we're going to break this bread and we're going to share this wine stroke grape juice. Let me just read these words from, from, from Matthew. Because Jesus, even as he was telling the story of the Passover, when they would have rehearsed the story of God and what God was doing in past history and what he will do in future history, 
bringing about the people of God to the mountain of God. He rehearses this. He, re- he renews the spirit of their mind. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he broke it. It would have been very ordinary bread that they would have got from their own bakers. He said, take this and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you. And as this is poured out, we're reminded again and again that we're in the middle of a story where we don't have a God who was on high, but Christ's own blood was poured out for you and I that it was spilt on the ground outside of Jerusalem for you, that you might receive this brand new life. Lord, would the spirit of our minds be renewed today. It says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it. Because my destiny Until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the story that you have caught us up into. Thank you for causing us to be born again. Thank you for birthing us out of joy. Thank you for the dignity that you've given us. Thank you for granting us Jesus Christ his death and resurrection thank you for this great story we're a part of Revelation 13.8 speaks about this history that will one day be written up being the book of life of the Lamb that was slain this very moment at the centre and at the end of this whole story thank you for our calling into eternal glory thank you there is spirit not just matter and I pray Lord God for all of us that the spirit of our mind will be renewed today I pray And I pray for those who aren't believers here today. Lord, would you open eyes? Lord, that that most radical of changes that can happen. Lord God, would it happen even today? Simplest of moments, a realisation that the, the story that they thought they were in is actually a false story. And the true story from beginning to end is right here in front of them. Lord, would you do an amazing work amongst us, I pray. In Jesus' name.